for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to the Your Financial Editor program here on Free Talk 930 WFMD and at WFMD.com. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks a lot for being with us today. Appreciate it. Hope you're having a good weekend. Hope you had a good week behind you. And a good program. We have some interesting uh, top stories to touch on, a little bit of data. And then joining me in uh, just a little bit, um, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. And um, she's a board-certified anesthesiologist. She's the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Um, she graduated from Stanford and on and on. I'll be talking more about her uh, her background in just a little bit. But uh, she reached out to me this week with a really interesting piece that she had written, The New Population Control, Fear and Isolation. So we're going to be diving into that and see uh, the impact that it's having on people. And then, of course, the uh, the byproducts of that, including the economy and, and uh, just how it's affecting uh, other parts of people's lives. So that's all coming up in just a little bit. Um, as far as some of the top stories in politics uh, this week, um, the White House economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, he, um, no surprise, credited the uh, current administration's economic and relief policies with helping the U.S. economy rebound from the uh, coronavirus-induced recession that began back in February. And he said that more tax relief is on the way if, in fact, uh, President Trump is reelected. So during the convention, uh, Mr. Kudlow said that U.S. economic health is coming back and Americans are going back to work thanks to emergency spending measures and tax cuts. And he went on to say, looking ahead, more tax cuts and regulatory rollback will be in store. Payroll tax cuts for higher wages, income tax cuts for the middle class, capital gains tax cuts for investment, productivity, and jobs. So basically making some really big promises um, and, you know, this was done before, obviously, when they campaigned, um, f- you know, four or five years ago, they were talking about all of these things and they materialized and then they uh, got kicked to the curb because of uh, COVID. And um, now they're on the rebound and, and it's kind of uh, full steam ahead as to how we get back to that strength and, and even beyond So um, that was some big talk that we heard this week. Something else that we heard this week uh, from Secretary uh, Ben Carson, Um, and he was talking about these opportunity zones, which I'm not sure if you're familiar. I've had people on before to talk about them, some experts, and um, I've talked about it as well. But um, these opportunity zones in economically distressed areas across the country drew $75 billion dollars in private investment in two years. So these opportunity zones were part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. So this $75 billion in two years is remarkable, um, Secretary Carson said, because as the program was put together, Secretary Mnuchin of the Treasury and his group of advisors predicted 100 billion 
over 10 years. And they're already at $75 billion in two years. So really, really good news. And these, are, these opportunity zones have seen a 29% increase in economic investment from the second quarter of 2018 to the fourth quarter of 2019, uh, Mr. Carson said. And he was going on to say it's having a profound effect as far as property values are concerned. So you've got these areas that are really some really um, just terrible areas. And what happens is governors from each state identify these areas in their state. And then they presented that to the Treasury Secretary and said, this is what we think for our state should be certified as an opportunity zone. And hopefully we can get private investment, not government, private investment to come in and invest in that area and help build it back up. So and there's a lot of these economically distressed communities, right? And it's good because it helps the community. It helps the people around it with their property values. It's putting more people to work. And then the folks like you or whoever it might be that invest in these opportunity zones, um, which there's over 8,700 of them across the country. They're in all 50 states, all, you know, five territories, Washington, D.C. They're everywhere. But you get... um, tax benefits if you uh, invest the, the correct way in these opportunity zones. So I thought that was really good news from uh, from um, Secretary Carson and a huge accomplishment. Like I said, getting $75 billion in just two years versus a $100 billion over 10 years. Looks like they're going to surpass that unless somebody comes in and unrolls it and you know does away with it. But looks like they're on a, a, a good path right now. Also, as far as investors go, interesting this week, the Securities and Exchange Commission deemed more investors capable of fending for themselves when it comes to the world of private equity firms, hedge funds, uh, new business startups. So commissioners at the uh, SEC uh, voted three to two in the middle of the week to approve a proposal expanding their definition of what's called accredited investors to include other folks uh, that could uh, be exposed and involved to some of these more sophisticated investments. So originally, these accredited investors had to have at least $1 million in net assets, not counting their home, or at least $200,000 in annual income. So a lot of people were kept away from um, opportunities, right? And, and you know, trying to get it on something that's hot. Now, the SEC was like, okay, we're trying to protect people because we don't want somebody that's not the sharpest knife in the drawer getting, you know, scammed or taken advantage of. But you know what? You have a lot of people that just because they don't have a million dollars or make $200,000 a year are really smarter than a lot of folks because they have common sense, street sense, And they know how things work. So the SEC, uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, said the existing system is fundamentally unfair, unequal, and unjustified. Um, So, like I said, it was a vote of three to two. Three Republican commissioners voted for it. The two uh, Democratic commissioners 
voted against it. I don't know why they would want to keep people from, you know, having that opportunity. Uh, as always, buyer beware. I think people know that. But, um, you know, just because you're saying that people are going to get taken advantage of doesn't mean you're going to – you should be preventing all people from that opportunity, or more people, I should say. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Also, I saw this week that the White House announced on Wednesday that federal agencies and their private sector partners are committing more than $1 billion over the next five years to establish 12 new research institutes that are focused on artificial intelligence and quantum information sciences. So this is the future, you know, artificial intelligence. Um, We've seen that in the cards for quite some time now. And the reason that the White House is announcing this and is pushing on this is because we want to ensure that the U.S. remains globally competitive in AI and quantum technologies. So the National Science Foundation and other federal agencies, including the U.S. Department of Agriculture, will invest $140 million in seven institutes focused on artificial intelligence. And, you know, I'd say, you know, the Department of Agriculture, I don't know if anybody listening has been in a new farm tractor lately or purchased a, you know, or walked by. I know I know there's some farmers that listen, but, you know, a lot of folks don't. You would be surprised how how advanced when it comes to technology these machines are already. And this is going to just help in all areas um, when it comes to uh, this focus on artificial intelligence. The Energy Department, they're going to supervise and invest $625 million in five institutes uh, based on quantum information sciences, uh, which includes quantum computing. Uh, the, you know, the Department of Energy investment will be matched by $300 million in private contributions. So that's going to be coming from the big players like IBM, Microsoft, and others. So really interesting stuff going on there and such a changing world that we live in when it comes to uh, to, to technology for sure. Um, so that was interesting to see. I just wanted to you know share that with you. Also, there was a little bit of a shakeup when it came to the Dow Jones, or at least you'll see it Monday, um, where the Dow Jones Industrial Average is getting a makeover. So the S&P Dow Jones Indices, which manages the 30-stock benchmark, remember the Dow Jones just has 30 stocks in it. So they're adding Salesforce.com, Amgen, and Honeywell to the index. That starts on Monday. Those three stocks are going to replace Exxon, Pfizer, and Raytheon. They're getting taken out. So these changes were prompted by Apple. They have a four-to-one stock split that they announced last month. So without any other changes to the price-weighted Dow, the split would have reduced the uh, information technology sector influence in the index. So um, in addition to those three companies, um, it's, you know, with that addition, it's going to help to mitigate uh, what's going on with Apple when they start trading um, on that split basis. So really, I mean, Exxon out of the Dow and Pfizer, it's amazing to see. That's a big changes. So um, it'll be interesting. What you're going to see is selling pressure on those that are going out. Because people are going to be lightening up on that because if they don't have to own it, um, 
they perhaps they won't. And then also you're going to have the others, which we've already seen uh, since the announcement, actually increasing because of purchases that have to be made because of certain in- indexes uh, that are followed. So I uh, wanted to let you know, go to uh, murrayfinancialgroup.com. And right there on the homepage, uh, our latest piece we just put on a little over a week ago, are you paying too much in taxes in retirement? So that is a, uh, excuse me, that's an eight-page tax guide. It was uh, created for you to help you better understand how taxes could affect your retirement income. Um, And that's an instant download. So go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and then uh, just uh, click on uh, for the uh, the download, and it'll be there for you. And when we come back, a little bit of economic data. And joining me in just a bit, uh, Dr. Singleton, on uh, COVID and just um, how this is all playing out. City of Frederick Mayor Michael O'Connor wants to build on what makes Frederick City Police already good. Do we want to strengthen what we already have in terms of um, a really good police department and in, and in finding an, a, a new police chief, the next police chief, not a new one necessarily, but the next police chief, we want to retain the best of what we already have and, and make it better where we can. Bob Miller gets it done. Mornings 5 to 9 on 930 WFMD. The Taco Bell Orchard is exploding with flavor. In fact, you could say they're peachy keen with peaches. Other summertime favorites include blackberries, plums, nectarines, and sugar cube cantaloupes. Small in size, mighty in taste. The garden is in full swing with squash, cabbage, peppers, tomatoes, cucumbers, and kale. You can even cut your own flowers. Katanga Mountain Orchard, 15 minutes from Frederick and Thurmont. Fresh fruit for better health at Katanga Mountain Orchard. Online at KatakaMountainOrchard.com. Katanga Mountain Orchard, farm fresh for your family. If you just can't wait for our next newscast, get the latest update anytime online at WFMD.com. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD and at WFMD.com. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hope you're uh, enjoying the program, enjoying your weekend. And um, when I talked about the economic data that we saw this week, it was pretty good. Um, and, you know, we really don't have anywhere to go but up after the uh, the spring and early summer that we had. But new orders for durable goods, which uh, just as a reminder, those are products designed to last at least three years, increased 11.2% in July from the previous month, uh, according to the Commerce Department. So a real nice move there when it came to uh, durable goods orders. And, you know, you have various economists saying that uh, the recovery in business equipment investment looks pretty V-shaped um, because of this data that that we've been seeing um, after the, the real rough time and all the carnage from the uh, of the coronavirus. Also, we saw um, another sign that the housing market just continues to lead the economy. Uh, Sales of newly built single-family homes rose in July to its highest pace since 2006. They were up 13.9% 
um, according to uh, data that was released. And, you know, that does just really match up with the National Association of Home Builders, uh, their conference survey that's uh, been indicating this type of um, of confidence and activity in that sector. So uh, really good to uh, see that housing continues for the most part um, to forge ahead. And we'll just have to wait and see how um, everything goes in the as we move you know, through the rest of the summer and in, into fall um, because prices are really uh, getting jacked up. I mean, I saw lumber inflation was like 219% or something. So that's a, a problem. And when you talk to people that are trying to get a project done um, and they're looking at, um, you know, wood, for example, or composites, it's really it, it, it's taking their breath away. I've, I've had a couple funny conversations with people that, you know, it was so shocking to them. Um, I was looking at some uh, uh, regional surveys and um, one that came from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago showed that economic activity uh, continued to expand in July. Uh, they have what's called the Chicago Fed National Activity Index, and uh, it came in at a plus reading. Uh, so that hopefully is giving us a signal that national economic growth is increasing as well, just like their regional uh, survey was showing. And then our um, our fifth district, Uh, came out this week, and it showed that manufacturing activity in our district continued to strengthen this month. And that was from the most recent survey from the Richmond Federal Reserve Bank. So the uh, composite index rose from um, – rose to 18. It was 10 in July, if I recall correctly. And all three of the components, whether it was shipments or new orders uh, and and also employment – Increased, uh, so that was uh, just a broad brush of uh, of good positive news. Um, you can say this is positive news, but it still feels funny. Uh, unemployment claims fell slightly last week, so that's the good news. But we're still extremely historically high, so um, they ticked down to about a million. In the week that ended August 22nd, according to what the Labor Department came out. Uh, But initial unemployment claims remain well below that recent peak of about 7 million in March. But again, they're far uh, far higher than the uh, pre-COVID or China virus or Corona or whatever you want to call it. So um, it's still, you know, we still have a lot of, of work to do, a lot of ground to make up for sure. But it was good to see that uh, they ticked down a little bit um, last week. And then um, we got a revision for the second quarter GDP number. Um, It was a little better than what was originally reported to us for that April April to June quarter. Um, It showed that, okay, so originally we had an uh, annualized contraction in the second quarter of 32.9%. So that was extremely ugly. It was terrible. Um, But the revision was a little bit better, 31.7%. Definitely no um, reason to want to jump around or throw a party. But – and these are serious numbers. I mean, the previous worst quarterly drop since they started keeping records back in 1947 was a 10% annualized loss in the at the end of the 1950s so but look i mean in that second quarter businesses shuttered 
millions of workers lost their jobs. And that's because America, the world's largest economy, went into lockdown mode, uh, which we're going to talk about in in just a little bit, as I mentioned with Dr. Uh, Singleton. But, you know, we're going to get one more revision for this second quarter GDP. But who cares? Because it seems that the second quarter data has long been crumbled up and thrown in the trash can. Um, And I think people are looking forward to say, yeah, okay, I get it. It was an extremely ugly time and nobody expected it. And it was a black swan and everybody was scared. And some of the information or maybe more than some of the information wasn't very good. And the suggestions weren't very good. And, um, you know, I'm not even going to get into the byproducts yet. Uh, like I, I, I like to, because it's a fact, but anyway, um, that some of that data has just totally been written off and everybody is just tunnel vision going forward saying, you know, how can we improve? How can we make things better? And, um, and, and that's just the sense that I think most people have something we saw uh, this week also that was pretty interesting was the federal reserve, um, approved a new strategy that will effectively set aside a practice that they've followed for, you know, over 30 years, Um, And what that is, and Chairman Powell um, unveiled these updates uh, in a speech for their virtual symposium that uh, started on Thursday. But what they're saying basically is the practical effect is that it may be a very long time before the Fed considers raising interest rates. So even as we see the jobs number improve and people are really hoping we can get to single digit unemployment by the end of the year. A lot of work, but hopefully we can get that done. That as the job market really gets stoked up like it was before at those 50 year um, records before the, uh, the, the um, COVID, they don't have to raise interest rates preemptively because we saw that even with people working, at those record high amounts, we didn't really have inflationary issues that the Fed had to step in and and try to control. So um, that was a big announcement. And and I think it it was welcomed by the markets and by investors because that's one uncertainty that seems to be off the table for right now. When's the Fed going to raise interest rates next? Well, I think you're well into 2022 before uh, they start – messing with interest rates. But, you know, having said that, you get a new administration in there and all these policies change. I mean, you really don't know. You know, you get a new chairman, um, which would happen, by the way, uh, probably. But you just don't know what would happen. So uh, but that was good news that they've kind of learned from some of their previous mistakes and um, they're going to um, to act accordingly. So, uh, yeah, that was good. All right. Uh quick break and then when we come back we'll be talking with my guest uh dr marilyn singleton and um we're going to jump right into it with the covid stuff and what's been good what's been bad um and uh just you know an opinion from a uh, medical expert stay tuned Your Financial Editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. 
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, it's available as a podcast on iTunes. So uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. I appreciate it. And uh, have a, a really good uh, conversation that we're jumping into at this time with my guest, uh, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. And uh, Dr. Singleton is a board-certified anesthesiologist. She is the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Uh, she graduated from Stanford, where she earned her MD, uh, or in, er, earned her MD at uh, UCSF Medical School. And uh, she did a couple years of residency there, uh, um, and, and then uh, a residency at Harvard's uh, Beth Israel Hospital. And she also, I don't know how she found time, but uh, while she was still working, uh, attended UC Berkeley Law School and uh, and got her JD there. So um, extremely accomplished and um, reached out to me this week about a piece that uh, she wrote, uh, The New Population Control, Fear and Isolation, obviously talking about COVID and uh, what's uh, transpired since COVID. So, uh, Dr. Singleton, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll just start and ask you um, what your opinion or your findings are on how this all started, like how the uh, COVID-19 virus originated. Well, certainly it did, in fact, come from China, and some people have traced back to probably at late October or November. And this is kind of the problem of not having the truth come out early on. Interestingly, now that they know the the genome for this, it's called the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's the virus that causes the disease called COVID-19. They've been testing blood from as long as five years ago and have been found reaction to it. So either there's cross-reactivity with other coronaviruses that are roaming the earth as they do, um, for coronaviruses cause the common cold, so they're around. This one happens to be a very nasty one. So um, how it came about, there's certainly some question. Did it come from a lab? Did it come from this weird-looking animal called a pangolin? Uh, we don't know, but the bottom line, it's here now. We weren't told very early about it, which is unfortunate. And it's around the world. Um, do you feel that we, uh, as kind of a current snapshot, that we have really improved our uh, situation when it comes to being prepared for uh, COVID and, and how it's handled um, on a medical side? I believe so. And, and this is the part that's so disturbing is on the medical side, people are really making advances. And early on, they were popping people on the ventilator just when their oxygen went down. Then they discovered that they they uh, were doing just fine with low oxygen and there was no need to go on the ventilator, which the high pressure of the ventilator wasn't good for the lungs. So there's all sorts of things that have been learned about the treatment and all sorts of old drugs that pop up uh, that have been useful and they're not useful in everybody, but they're useful in some and 
doctors have, are trying more things. And uh, so certainly from the medical side, people are better at it. We've caught up with the gear that's necessary. And the sad part and, and what's really quite disgusting is the media portrays things that aren't necessarily true and um, bombards us with all this information that it, it, using statistics like how Mark Twain said, lies, 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 and damn statistics, and not presenting things as numbers per 100,000 people, and, oh, there's so many deaths, and and we're the third largest country in the world. Uh, of course we're going to have more cases. And so I, the presentation is is not it's not good for us it's not good for people that we need to look at this in reality and how it is what kind of virus it is and we should be careful but it's not the end of the world yeah exactly and and but yet like you uh mentioned a moment ago it's being preached that way and and just drilled into everybody's head with these little blips uh where they drop in a number or a statistic um and it really i think it's just left people Number one, fearful, and number two, confused because they it's almost like, you know, it's a dog chasing its tail where they don't know what works, what doesn't work, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And a lot of people are susceptible to that, you know, fear really gripping them and, and having um, <clears throat> a terrible impact on them. I mean, what I've been ranting about for months and months now is the byproducts of COVID-19 and you know, it's like you said, if you look at the statistics as far as um, the, the death rate and extreme Ill illnesses go, it's it's not bad at all. But you would think that, you know, people are guessing that, oh, it could be six out of 10 or dropping dead or whatever. And it's nothing like that. So, um, you, you know, with your writing, I mean, what prompted you uh, this piece that you wrote on the 25th? the new population control, fear and isolation. Why don't you give us a little bit of, of insight on that? Well, excuse me, what got me started on that was hearing this compared to Ebola, and it has absolutely no comparison to Ebola. And I just thought, get these darn politics out of medicine. Please, please, please let people know the truth. I mean, because Ebola is such a dirty word, and um, this is nothing like Ebola. And uh, comparing responses is nothing like Ebola. You couldn't get Ebola just from being around somebody. You had to touch their bodily fluids. So, you know, just go away. Please, politicians, go away. And we just need people to look at this rationally. Now, I love old people. I am an old person, but <laughs> let's let's get real. 80 some percent of the cases are people over 65. Right. And this and that's who dies. And think of this, only a half a percent of our population even lives in nursing homes, yet half of the people that died from COVID were in nursing homes. So we have to put this in perspective, and not that those people don't matter, and of course they do, and it's sad that 
they kind of became expendables when uh, nursing sick people were sent back to the nursing home right. rather than isolating them, even though there was a place to send them to. I mean, you know, that that was horrible. Yep. But given what we're discussing now and looking at these numbers, that people just have to realize who gets sick. And yes, every now and then there's someone who's quote-unquote young and healthy, and they get sick and die. Of course, we'll never know their medical history. We're just hearing that on the news, and obviously it would be a violation of their privacy to know their medical history. It's like how sometimes you hear about a young college basketball player dies on the court. You know, we don't know what underlying conditions they have. But most of the time, 99.9% of the time, People have some underlying condition, and I hate to say this, but the biggest one is obesity. And obesity and diabetes seem to be something that draw in this virus, that make it where the virus is easier to penetrate the cell, replicate, and then cause disease. So take care of yourselves. If you're fat, try to lose some weight and eat eat more healthily. And the other very positive thing about this is they found that specific antibodies may not be the one thing that's going to take care of this disease, that they found that a lot of folks have it's called T-cell antibodies that are your kind of general immune system and rather than a specific antibody, and that they help take care of this disease. So there really is something to good health, vitamin D, vitamin C, and getting out in the fresh air, as, as simplistic as that sounds, that's something that would help people in warding off this disease. Now, I, I agree, and it's a shame that um, that wasn't, uh, spoken about earlier, you know, like like you said, the C and, and vitamin D and and not being confined and recirculated air and all that nonsense. I mean, because I think a lot of people would have done just that and they would have realized, oh, okay, I can be proactive here. I don't just have to sit on the couch and not go anywhere for two months and hope that you know, this evil disease doesn't, you know, slip in underneath the front door or whatever. But instead... I mean, I remember one of the craziest things I heard was it'll be like the Spanish flu. And I actually did a just, you know, some research on that. And I'm like, one thing that hit me was, wait a minute, we didn't even have penicill- penicillin when they had the Spanish flu, much less all the other discoveries and technologies and medical breakthroughs since then. So I just thought that was ridiculous. Well, you got it. That's one of the first things I thought. You certainly might say, yes, it's a pandemic like the Spanish flu, but it's a hundred years ago and the medical advances are are amazing since then. So it it's not looking at the numbers, it's not an apt comparison as far as ultimately what will happen. And the good thing is when you look at nonpartisan, just completely scientific websites, um 
the Hopkins website, and there's one called Worldometers that makes beautiful graphs of what's going on in each country, and they'll graph them per 100,000 people so you don't get skewed numbers and, you know, say, yes, we have more cases than Iceland, you know, that's the size of Rhode Island as far as population, um, that you'll see that we had a really big peak in April, and it started to drift down. There was a tiny bump a little at the beginning of the summer, and the mountain is coming down, and things are leveling off. And, and quite interestingly, the first SARS virus, that was out in 2003. That one was very, very deadly. That had about a 10% fatality rate, whereas this SARS overall is about 0.26%, very high in the old and almost non-existent in the young. Um, that hung around for about nine and a half months, and then it just went away. Now, I'm not saying this SARS virus will do the same thing, but it does give us hope. And looking at the graph, it looks like we're in that period where it's starting to go away. And, of course, there's no way for the government to ever get itself out of the box of the lockdown. Businesses closed. People closed their lives. And we'll never know if the lockdown helped. Sweden didn't have a lockdown, and their curve is about the same as everybody else's. So politicians are here to tell you, well, if we hadn't locked down, then we'd have more deaths. We'll never know that, will we? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's what they're going to tell us. Yeah, exactly. And and, um, that's that's definitely the downside is what uh, a lot of people were told and what they believed even more so. So I'm going to squeeze a quick break in. And then when we come back on the other side, we'll talk about that. Some of the the byproducts of uh, the lockdown and and the the fear uh, that went along with um, the announcement of this virus. Um, So my guest, uh, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, she's going to stand by. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute, so stay tuned. Saturday, take advantage of Ashley Home Store's special Labor Day preview offers. Be the first to save up to 75% off on every Ashley living room, dining room, bedroom group, and more. Get early Labor Day savings this Saturday, plus free delivery, and Ashley pays your sales tax. Whether you're decorating one room or your entire home, find the Ashley styles to fit your look and budget. Beat the Labor Day crowds. Save up to 75% off Saturday at Ashley Home Store in Frederick and Hagerstown, Maryland. The night. 30 WFMD text line makes it easy to reach us with news and traffic tips or join the conversation. Just text our studio line anytime at 301-694-9363. 301-694-WFMD. A service of Vet Urgency. Frederick's Urgent Care for Pets. Interest rates as low as 3% at high low Auto Sales. First time buyer? Divorced? No co-signer? No money down? Repossession? Boom! You're approved! Pick your vehicle, fill out the online credit app, and drive home with a free six-month 6,000-mile warranty. HiloAutoSales.com. 
It's the 930 WFMD Virtual Home Show with local businesses like O'Connor Plumbing and Eric Smock Heating and Air Conditioning, bringing the home show experience to you. Check it out at WFMD.com. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And the program is available as a podcast or at iTunes. So um, you can re-listen to this program or share it with someone um, that you think would benefit from it. A lot of good information uh, coming from my guest this morning, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She's a board-certified anesthesiologist and the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And um, she uh, uh, got her uh, degrees at Stanford and UCSF and worked at Harvard's Beth Israel Hospital. And then she went to UC Berkeley Law School and got her JD there. So um, very accomplished and um, wrote a piece that I saw this week and, you know, uh, that uh, I had gotten from the organization uh, via email and just wanted you guys to be able to to kind of hear uh, her take on it. So, um, Dr. Singleton, what's the downside? I mean, obviously, the loss of human life is terrible and those that were sick and then the loved ones that are left behind. But what are the other uh, downsides and byproducts of all this? Well, one thing we have to look at, it's not either one or the other, that there's death and problems that come from the lockdown and the fear. So some people are going to die of one thing. Some people are going to die of the other. And it really becomes a risk-benefit analysis. And let's look at some numbers that from the American Cancer Society. They are estimating 80,000 diagnoses, five common cancers, are delayed because of the disruption in health care up until, really, July. And... They also predict 34,000 more cancer deaths due to this delayed diagnosis because, of course, by the time you pick up the cancer, it might be stage four, which is not as likely curable. And the CDC did their own study, and they reported, as they called it, an adverse behavioral health condition was reported by 41% of the people surveyed, and they surveyed thousands of people. It wasn't one of these, let's survey 10 people and find out. And sadly, 11% of those had considered suicide. Now, this is, this is serious. And worse yet, a, a radiology study, and, and I mention this because it's something that's verifiable, domestic violence injuries they found based on looking at the radiology and the broken bones and whatnot have doubled since this lockdown and all the fear. So you tell me, would you rather get a mild case of COVID, which 99.9% of the cases are, or be beaten up or a victim of child abuse 
or not have your cancer diagnosed. So it's a trade-off. Yeah, and and and, and it, that is so important. And I think um, that's why a lot of people um, are either have already become angry or they're really getting there uh, now because in looking back over their shoulder and seeing this type of statistics that you pointed out and knowing that, you know, with these forced lockdowns and you've got to shelter in place and shut all the businesses and the whole stupid essential thing, as far as I'm concerned, if a man or woman wants to get up and work and provide for themselves and their family, they're essential. Um, so that, you know, I, I never really got that. And then, of course, like you said, the the terrible things that are going on um, inside of these homes and, um, you know, you get a, a, a person loses their job or a business owner loses his business. Well, it doesn't have cash flow. So maybe they can't make their car payment. They lose their car. Maybe they can't make their mortgage payment. That's foreclosed on or even though with the extension, um, you know, that's going to bring a lot of um, emotional strife. So maybe they start fighting with their spouse. That could lead to, you know, a breaking up of a family. And then, of course, the the real terrible end game is, like you said, all of these people that either have or are considering taking their own lives because their mental health has just been so strained. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think... People themselves know that. And and this, again, is where what is wrong with the mainstream media where individual, ordinary people feel this, they know this, they intrinsically know that they need to be out and that it's, quote, unquote, essential for everybody to try to live a regular life. And I reject this concept of this is the new normal. It is not normal. And don't call it that. This will pass and we will be fine. But we can't just try to scare people silly. I think we need to treat people as adults and say, yes, this is a problem. Yes, it's just like with flu season when 60 million people get the flu and, uh, Wash your hands, use common sense, but move forward with your life. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I, I think um, minute by minute, people are, are, if they aren't already in that camp, they're, they're, they're walking to it. And, they, and I think people are sick of it. And um, and in in playing, you know, armchair quarterback, it's always easy to do that. But in looking at things in the rearview mirror, um, I think so many things were uh, were handled so poorly. So I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, let our listeners know, you know, a lot of those facts and statistics and and your uh, just your input. And again, folks, um, Dr. Singleton. Uh, is the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. So you could go to their website and check things out. And uh, Dr. Marilyn M. Singleton, MD, you can look that up and you can get uh, sign up for the newsletters and just get some inf- uh, really good information that you can um, base uh, good decisions on. So, again, uh, Dr. Singleton, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. And uh, always good uh, to talk with um, Dr. Singleton and some of her predecessors. And, um, 
you know, just that's what we need is just truth and and real good, hard facts, good data. Like she said, common sense. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. I learned that in kindergarten. I mean, who doesn't know that? So it's just ridiculous. So anyway, um, again, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and uh, she is a, a doctor, of course, and then she's the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And you can look her up and get her information. It's uh, it's good stuff. Um, so uh, that does it for us. We're out of time. I'll talk with you next week on the Morning News Express with my friend Bob Miller at 550, 650, 7.50 a.m. Uh, each weekday. And then uh, another program here uh, next Saturday for you. And uh, I mentioned earlier the um, the it's new. We just put it on uh, a little over a week ago. Uh, instant download for you is are you paying too much in taxes in retirement? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and uh, click on that. And uh, like I said, it's an instant download. It's complimentary talking about all these important things in retirement when it comes to taxes. So help yourself to that. And um, have a great rest of the weekend. Stay safe. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock